We are in a series on the book of Proverbs from the Bible's Old Testament, and I call this Uncommon Sense. You've heard of common sense? Well, this is kind of a play on words, uncommon sense. And uh, I love the Proverbs because of the practicality of them. And they're easy to memorize. They're written that way. Uh, so we're looking at this. And remember from the first uh, uh, message, this is what we call wisdom literature. So there's a way that you learn to read this kind of literature. Remember, these are not sort of blanket warranty guarantees from God. These will always work. All you have to do is quote them, you know, sort of like a rabbit's foot that you hang in your car or, you know, like a magic charm or something. That's not what they are. It's wisdom literature. So you read a collection of these things and they will help you to make right choices in life. I see Andrew and Shana up on my right there, newlywed couple. Congratulations. I did their wedding on Labor Day Sunday there. So I see they're back and... And looking like a newlywed couple. So congratulations. Just wanted to highlight you there. Um, uh, yes, so, uh, and um, I quoted from the book of Proverbs in their wedding, actually. So um, in any case, uh, Proverbs are, are beloved by people, again, because of the ability that you have to memorize them, and they're written that way intentionally, okay? So we're going to talk about a very important uh, subject as far as the Proverbs are concerned and as far as the whole Bible is concerned, and that's what we say. So I call this wise, wise words and verbal vices, all right? And this is all about our speech and the way that we talk, or even for people who, who can't speak vocally, the way that people communicate with one another. The Bible has a great concern about this, and more so than we realize um, how many of you have heard the old proverb that we use in the modern age, sticks and stones will, but, right. So is that true? How many say it's true? How many say it's not true? How, how many of you say yeah, it's true sometimes, not true other times? It's a proverb, but the Bible would disagree with this proverb. The, the weight of the Bible places a whole lot more emphasis on what we say than that. Now, I get the gist of this modern-day proverb, you know, you, you, your kids are being bullied in school and all that, and you say, well, you, you sit your kid down and you say, listen, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never, don't let them, don't let the, just words, don't let the words hurt you and all of this. It's, and, and the kid listens to that, but honestly, he or she doesn't believe a word you're saying. And you don't either. Because the truth is that while the intention of that proverb is good, words hurt, don't they? They hurt. And sometimes they hurt even more than a physical thing. I don't know if you've ever seen, you ever observed, um, you know, those of you who have boys in the room, maybe you have boys and girls, you have a parent. Do boys and girls fight differently? Now, how do boys fight? They tend to lean, when they're younger, they tend to lean more into the physical side of things. Tend to. Not all of them do, but they tend to. How do girls tend to fight? They tend to use words, right? 
And the words that they use sometimes, I mean, you could probably tell me stories of things that have been said to you from years and years and years and years ago, and you still hear them as clear as a bell in your head, right? And those words affected you for the positive or for the negative. I'll always remember the story, the testimony of a... um, really good contemporary uh, Christian musician by the name of David Meese, M-E-E-C-E. Some of you, you don't know who I'm talking about. David Meese was a prodigy, still alive today, he's a prodigy uh, as a child, a piano player, play anything classical music, and then later on in his life, he got into contemporary Christian music and so on. Tremendous, tremendous musician. If you want to get a hold of some great Christian music, David Meese. Anyway, he tells the story of how he was uh, severely uh, abused as a, as a child. His father was a raging, violent alcoholic. And he tells the story of when he was just a boy, how his father got wildly drunk and took the car and drove the car into the house and smashed into the house, got out of the car with a loaded, a loaded pistol and pointed it at his son and looked at him and said, you're worthless, and pulled the trigger. And that, that moment, the, the, the gun didn't go off, but that moment changed this young boy's life. Because true story, what his father said to him, communication. So the Bible would place a great deal of emphasis on words and the power of them and how they affect people's lives. So I want to go through some Proverbs with you. I'll just put the references on the screen. And then we're going to talk about just four areas of uh, focus that not only the Proverbs, but the whole Bible really talks about and give you some advice about what you say, how you communicate. So from Proverbs chapter 12, and remember, when you read Proverbs, you try to read a collection of them, a group of them. How many of you did your homework last week? That's what I thought. Oh, one person. How many of you you have a dog or a cat? Your dog or your cat ate your homework? Okay, so the homework is you try to read one chapter of Proverbs a day. You got 30 days in a given month or whatever. You try to read one chapter, and you see, is there anything that jumped off the page to you? I guarantee you will find, you'll read and say, oh, I really like that one. So when you find one, you like one, you write it down, you put it in your phone, whatever, and you try to memorize that proverb, and you just, I just guarantee you, all right, you will find that that is going to help you in a very practical sense in your life at some point, maybe in the immediate, maybe in the future, you will see God will bring it back to you. If you do the work of, uh, of that, he will, he will honor it and it, you will see what, what he will do in your life with that. So um, from Proverbs chapter 12, starting at verse 14, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things and the work of their hands brings them reward. See the correlation between what people say and how people act and behave. There's a correlation drawn here. Verse 17, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See that? This is a power of words here. Verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Interesting. It's a, it's a bit of a, you say, well, hold on. Doesn't a lying tongue, doesn't, it, doesn't that last forever? Well, what he's trying to do is to say the, the, the enduring quality of, of truth it, 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 it triumphs over lies. That's what's being said here. Verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, detests them, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So how many of you agree with those Proverbs? Yeah, that, that you look at that, you say that, that really does make sense. That's a good Good summation. We continue here. Chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. From the fruit of their lips, people enjoy good things. But the unfaithful have an appetite for violence. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs verse uh, chapter 18, fools find no pleasure in understanding. Now, a fool in the Proverbs, the word is for a, a person without morals. Uh, a person, um, uh, it's not that they're unintelligent or whatever, it's that they're immoral. So the fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Right? You probably know some people like that. You're thinking of them. Oh, I know someone like that. Yeah, uh, verse 4, the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a gushing stream. Say, what's that mean? It's a little bit of a riddle. So the words of the mouth are deep waters. What happens in deep waters? You can drown in deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. And in that culture, a rushing stream might give you fresh water that you could drink. You see, so it's a bit of a riddle there. Verse 7, the mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Again, that immoral person Things that they say actually backfire on them and get them in trouble in the long run. That's, uh, again, from Proverbs 18 and uh, verse, uh, verse 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Say, what's that mean? Well, gossip... To a person who likes gossip, it's very tasty. It's like choice morsels. Mmm. And if you see, if you ever see people who like to gossip, you can almost hear them hum. Mmm. Let's talk. I want to hear the gossip. He says it's in the writer is trying to say it's like it's delicious to people. Gossip. Verse 13. To answer before listening is folly and shame. So trying to encourage people to listen rather than to interrupt. 
and verse 21. This is a famous, famous proverb, often, often taken out of context in, in uh, church settings. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Wow, that's a very strong. Proverbs uh, chapter 21, verse 23. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Mm. Proverbs 29 and verse 5. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Again, a bit of a riddle there. The person is flattering their neighbor in order to manipulate them and trap them somehow. So they're spreading a net for their feet while they're flattering them. You know, you remember the um, when we were talking about um, <clears throat> the book of Daniel. Remember how they, how they conspired uh, the, the colleagues of Daniel, they, they want to uh, get rid of him because he's rising to power in politics and so on. And King Darius at the time really likes him. And so they go to Darius and they say, you know, you need to issue an edict that uh, no one can worship anybody but you, right? And so what are they doing? They're, they're appealing to his ego, but what they're doing is they're laying a trap to try and manipulate and conspire using Darius against David, who he, uh, sorry, Daniel, who he really likes, right? And you see the outcome of that when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and the lions don't hurt him and so on from Daniel chapter 6. So uh, those who, splat, uh, who, who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. That's just a sampling of how the Proverbs talk about speech. So it's not sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. It's almost the reverse. And you see this amplified throughout the Bible, and we'll get to some passages in the New Testament in a few moments that, that really uh, summarize this quite well from the lips of Jesus and from his half-brother James. So I want to give you four areas to think about. The Bible certainly thinks a lot about this in terms of what you're saying, how you're communicating. Number two, uh, uh, number one, are you gossiping, which the Proverbs talk about, or are you edifying? Are you gossiping or are you edifying? Which are you doing? And gossip, interestingly, is listed in, um, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as quite an egregious sin. Very severe. It's listed in the same lists as uh, sexual sin and all kinds of things. And right in there, you have gossip. And it's quite interesting that the scripture does this when it talks about uh, gossip. And the question is, which are we doing? And gossip, if you want to define it, it's when you are talking about somebody behind their back in a very negative way condescending fashion. You wouldn't say it to them to their face, but you have an audience of a person or people with you, and you take your opportunity with that audience to speak negatively or in a condescending fashion about a person or people or whatever. And this is, this is gossip. 
And the Bible really frowns on this because it would challenge the gossiper if you have something to say to a person, who do you say it to? You say it to the person. Otherwise, you keep your mouth closed. But you don't get an entourage of people and, uh, and start gossiping about someone. Now, young people know this very, very well because young people face it every single day on social media. And inevitably, they are exposed in some shape or form to gossip on social media, and they're being gossiped about, or they have an opportunity to gossip about somebody else in school or whatever. It's incredibly easy to do this on social media because you're not in front of anybody. You're in front of your little screen, and you can write whatever you want. You can say whatever you want about person A, and they're not there, you know, and uh, who cares? Later on, maybe, if it's found out, you're going to have to face the music of what you said or what you wrote, but it's incredibly easy to spread gossip in today's world. The Bible would say, no, you don't gossip about someone. You edify the person rather than gossip. So next time you're in a, in a room and, you know, you hear that happening and you hear gossip happening, you, you have a choice as to what you're going to do. Are you going to engage in it or are you going to stop it? I guarantee you, if you're the person who decides to stop it, wow, people are going to take note and they're going to be shocked that you had the gumption to stop the gossip dead in its tracks. You know, when you're in your, in your job, typically the boss or the supervisor is often gossiped about and thrown under the bus, and you know, I don't like the boss is this, and I don't like the boss is that, and oh yeah, yeah, you're right, and oh yeah, you're right, and he's this, and she's this, and if you're the person who comes in on the side and you, and you shut that stuff down, wow, are you ever gonna stick out like a sore thumb? But this is what the scripture would call you to do. If you're a Christ follower, you're going against the typical grain of gossip and you're seeking to edify in your conversation, in your communication, rather than to gossip. So you, you dig in the scripture and you'll see it is frowning upon the subject of gossip very strongly. Number two, are you telling the truth or are you lying? And you see this in the Proverbs as well. The truthful witness or the liar. Which are you doing? Are you speaking the truth or are you de in deception? Are you lying? So when the, when the scripture talks about lies versus truth, you have some huge, huge statements that are made. So there's, a, there's a, uh, an individual mentioned in the scripture. He's called the father of lies. Who's that? It's the, it's the devil. And it's actually Jesus who says that about him. He says he was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So according to Jesus, he's a liar, a master deceiver. He deceives people all the time. This is according to the narrative of Jesus. That's the work of the enemy is to deceive and to lie. No wonder the scripture would be very, very against 
people being deceptive and lying. There's a television show that I'm watching on uh, Friday nights, which I find extremely entertaining. I just have to tell you that it's called The Traitors. Any of you watching this thing on Friday nights? I'm not necessarily endorsing it, okay? I'm just telling you it's very, very entertaining. And the whole, the whole premise of this thing is you, it's one of these, um, what do you call it, reality uh, type shows, right? You get these people and they're, um, the setting is uh, they're in this castle. And uh, you, have, you have people who are what, what are called faithfuls and you have traitors, in this cast of characters, you know, you start with about 10 people. And what, ha what has to happen is they have these, these, uh, these competitions and they start winning money and the pot grows. And I think it goes up to a maximum of to a whopping $250,000. And so what has to happen is you have to identify who in the show is actually a traitor. And the traitors are a small group. Right now, it's like two or three of them have, have survived the show. And what they do is they meet secretly, and they decide who they are going to get rid of next. And, and, uh, and they have the ability to do that. The traitors send a little letter to the, to the person in the middle of the night, and they say, we regret to inform you that you, we've just murdered you. Now, they don't actually physically murder them. They just give them a piece of paper, and they're out of the game. And then, of course, inevitably, in all these game shows, you get the climax at the end, and the people sit around a table, and they vote, and one of them gets kicked off that way. So the, the key to the show is that the faithfuls, the non-traders, they have to discover who are the traitors among us. Because if even only one traitor survives to the end, they get the loot and all the faithfuls get nothing. So the faithfuls have to really work hard and identify who's the traitors among us. And the traitors, if they're really good at their trade, they are excellent liars, and they lie, and they manipulate, and they draw on people's emotions, and they do all these things, and you watch them, and if you're like me, you're screaming at the screen, and you're saying, don't you realize that the, you're being played? They're lying to you. It's a game. It's a game of lies. And you get people, and they're kind of naive, and they're kind of falling into it, and they talk about their personal lives, and da-da-da-da-da. And you can just see the traders just hooking them in like this. And then they get yeah, either you know kicked off of the show by murder, or everybody conspires against them. Votes. So it's quite entertaining, but very theological because it's all about lies and how well people can lie. The Bible frowns upon this. And the Bible goes even further. And you see a line through all of Scripture. When people tell lies in God's name, so they declare God has said something when in fact he has not said it. 
it's the person's idea and effectively what they're doing is they're putting words in God's mouth and using God as a bargaining chip saying God has said so and so and of course everybody has to take notice because who after all can argue with God this my friends is what's called taking the Lord's name in vain People often think, well, that's when you use Jesus' name as a cuss word, and that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Well, it is, but it goes even deeper than that. When people declare things that God has allegedly said that he has not said at all, this is a detestable thing in the scripture. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. So next time you have the opportunity to act in deception, you have the opportunity to lie, and you know that if you do, you're, you're, no one's going to catch you. You're going to get away with it. Just remember how seriously God takes this sort of thing. And uh, I, I've heard of pastors who have done it, and they've put themselves on um, sort of a vow to uh, not lie at all, at all, at all, at all. Not even a tiny little, what you call a, what do you call that, a, a certain color, a, a white lie. Not even a tiny one. If you put yourself on notice, I guarantee you are going to find that you lie a lot. You're going to find, and I'm going to find, we lie a lot. We lie to ourselves, we lie to our loved ones, we lie in our jobs, we lie in our schools. It, it just is very uh, instinctive to us. Put yourself on notice and watch and observe yourself and you will see how difficult it is to not lie. Take a, just one day and decide, I am not going to tell one lie today. It's going to be very awkward for you because you start telling the truth to certain questions that people are going to ask you and you're, you're not going to know what to say. You'll see. Put yourself on notice. By the way, uh, I'll take advantage of the moment. Um, starting tonight at sundown until tomorrow night at sundown, very, very important day in the Jewish calendar. Do any of you know what it is? No. Rosh Hashanah was uh, nine days ago. Aha, someone said it, the Day of Atonement. It's the highest, most holy day in Judaism. It starts tonight into tomorrow night. So if you work with Jewish people or whatever, they ain't coming to work tomorrow. Okay, I'll tell you where they're going to be. They're going to be in the synagogues taking stock of their lives. They're going to be thinking about the things that they have said. They're going to be thinking about the things that they have done. And the reason is that tomorrow is the day where God seals their fate for another year. He seals it. He decides if they're going to live or die, if they're going to get sick or, or not. It, that's the view. I'm not saying I agree with it, but that's the view. And he seals it tomorrow. So tomorrow they go to synagogue. They wear black. They fast for 25 straight hours no liquid, no food, nothing. It is the highest, most holy day in Judaism. And I guarantee you, a lot of what they're doing is thinking about the things that they say. 
Because tomorrow is the day where God seals it. Never forget the discussion I had with my dentist, Jewish dentist, and he said, um, this was back in the day when, when uh, the, there, was, uh, there were journalists from the West who were going over into the Middle East, and you had the terrorist groups, and they were executing these journalists. And there was a journalist, a Jewish one, and he was executed. It was a very famous moment. He was one of the first ones. He was uh, brutally executed there. And I remember sitting in the dentist's chair, and the dentist said to me, it was right around the same season as we are now. And he says, wow, just amazing that, that this is what God decided about this reporter on this day. Wow. And it gave me an opportunity to talk about Jesus and the grace of, of God that we sung about today that brings us to repentance, the scripture says. Uh, so anyway, take stock of what you're saying, take stock of whether you're telling the truth or whether you're lying, you're going to see how difficult it's going to be. Another subject the scripture talks about, number three, are you being harsh or are you being gentle in the way that you communicate? Harsh or gentle? The scripture takes note of the tone of a way, the way that a person communicates. Sometimes you can say the right words, but the tone that you use is a harsh tone. I like what Paul says to, I think it's the Colossians, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That would imply, among many things, even speech. The way that people speak and the way that people talk, is it harsh or is it gentle? A harsh word will bring about a certain emotion in a person, but a gentle word will also bring about a certain emotion in a person. What emotion are you bringing out in the way and the tone that you use to communicate? And finally, are you speaking quickly, like these people in a protest? Gosh, there was a, there was a big protest, I think, last week or the week before. And then the protest against the protest at the same time. You got protesters and protesters protesting the protest. So, you know, in there, in there, there's no, you're not communicating in a way that you're shouting at each other, you're interrupting each other. Are you speaking quickly or are you speaking slowly? And here you got, I love this picture. You see the, the, the senior guy is leaning forward to the younger guy talking to him, and you see the younger guy just sitting there calmly. That's because he's got an audience. The senior guy is leaning forward because he knows the person across from him is listening. He's not irritated trying to communicate to that person. He's, he's got an audience, and so he's leaning forward, talking in. He's got his ears. And you will, again, observe... Um, are you cutting people off when they're trying to talk to you? This happens often in marriage. One spouse is communicating to the other, and they get cut off all the time. The other one just cuts them off and interrupts and gets their two cents in, and it's predictable. You can, you can observe it almost every single time. That's a that's a couple where you've got communication issues because one is struggling to always say something and the other one just cuts them off all the time. So it's like a race. It's a competition for, for communication. Not good. The scripture, we saw it in the Proverbs, 
would say, hey, 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 be, be a listener rather than a talker, and things are going to go better for you. Let's look at what the New Testament has to say about some of these subjects here. Book of James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters, this is James chapter 1. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Inspect yourself. Are you a cutter-offer? <laughs> Do you like to cut people off when they're talking? Preachers like me are often cutter-offers. We always have a, something to say. We always have a solution. We always think we, we, we know what... You know. Sometimes preachers have that disease. Believe me, I'm a recovering cutter-offer. Okay? Be quick to listen. Goes much better. Your relationships go much better. You're a much better example to people when you are a listener rather than a cutter-offer. And listen to this rant that same writer James goes on here in James chapter 3 about communication. It is, it has got to be the strongest statement about communication in the New Testament, except for maybe some things that Jesus said when he was condemning the Pharisees for the things that they said. I mean, listen to this. This is a rant from James. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And he gives several illustrations. When we take a, a bit and we put it into the mouth of a horse, those of you who've ridden horses, you know what this is about, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. You put a small little bit in their mouth, you pull the bit like this, you can control this massive animal just by that. He gives another example. Let's take a ship, he says. And this ship is massive. This is a sea vessel, massive, driven along by strong winds. But they're steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go, he just turns the rudder very small and can make that whole ship turn just by turning a small little piece that controls it, the rudder. And he says, this is like the tongue. The tongue, it's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider a forest, another illustration, set on fire by a small spark. We know this, hopefully, all too well in the province of Quebec and in other provinces where you have these, uh, these forest fires. This year, I think, was a record. There's no uh, year on record that was as bad as this one in the province of Quebec for the fires. I mean, you could see the sky change color over here. And we're talking about hundreds of miles up north by, you know, James Bay and all that. And the smoke is coming all the way down here. Those are forest fires, folks. Those are set by small sparks. He says, look at that great fire set by a small spark. The tongue, he says, is also a fire, a world of evil. He says, 
among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Wow, that is something else. And is itself set on fire by hell, he says. Gehenna, the word in the Greek, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they threw garbage day and night and it was burning day and night. The tongue is set on fire by hell, he says. And he continues as if that's not bad enough. All animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed or have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Goodness, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And if you have been the victim of someone's tongue, you're saying to yourself silently, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's right. He's not exaggerating. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, he says. But with it, what do we do? We curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. What's he doing? He's preaching a little sermon here. He's saying this is hypocritical. People who praise God and then curse People who've been made in God's image, it's nonsense. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. This should not be. Can you get fresh water and salt water from the same spring? Obviously not. So can a fig tree bear olives? Obviously not. Can a grapevine bear figs? Obviously not. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What's he saying in three words? Watch your mouth. <laughs> that's what he's saying and he's using a whole lot more words than that and he's saying your tongue your tongue is powerful it's powerful it can devastate people or it can bring people up what are you going to do with it and here we'll close with this this is from the lips of Jesus he's casting devils out in front of religious people in front of the Pharisees, he's doing this, and the Pharisees detest Jesus as it is already. They think he's a liar. They think he's a deceiver. They think he's the liar. They think he's, you know, we talk about the father of lies. They're accusing him of being that, and they say right there, when they see Jesus do this, they say right there, you know what? It's by the prince of demons that he's casting out demons. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity, and he, he severely chides them for this. Verse 33, Matthew 12, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. You're, what's he saying? You're a, you're a big bunch of snakes. First century Middle East, snakes, bad, not good, not friendly. You are a brood of vipers. It's the worst kind of insult, what he's saying. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In some translations, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like the way that's translated. A good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Sounds very logical. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. 
For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And in the same passage, passage he talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and how this is unforgivable. Obviously, he's talking about the Pharisees there, and he's saying, you are calling me the devil. This is a, this is a, a, a very bad thing. So he uses that as an opportunity to teach this way. But you see this, you see this strength in what he is saying and how seriously he's taking what people say. And you watch when people talk, they're talking out of what is inside them. What is inside is bound to come out, especially when the person, and listen to this, is under stress. When the person is under stress and they're pushed and they're squeezed, take note, because that's when you're going to see who they are. And those of you who are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Marriage squeezes the person, and you see what's inside that person who you married over time, and it gets squeezed out, and you see the real them. They can't hide anymore. They're with you all the time, and so it comes out, you see. And when you're in the workplace, and people are under pressure, and they're squeezed, and they're under anxiety, or life comes and you know, brings bad news, that what comes out of the mouth is what's inside the heart. And the Bible would have us look into our own selves and question our own selves because it takes this subject extremely seriously. Would you stand with me? We're going to finish up just by having a word of prayer together. Musicians, you're in the room. You can come in and play softly in the background. I'm sure as you've heard some of the scripture just being read today, you, you're thinking of different things. You're thinking of different people. Maybe you're thinking about things that you've said, things that you've done, and you, you know, a lot of stuff just runs through your mind because sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can kill you. Words can destroy you. Words can turn your life upside down, just like that young boy whose father said to him, you're worthless. It changed the entire uh, course of his life. So, Father, we, we come to you and we're thankful, Lord, for your word and how it speaks to us. God, we're thankful for how you challenge us. And, uh, Lord, we, we come to you in these moments. And for sure, uh, even me, I'm, I'm probably at the top of the list, oh God. And, and we, uh, we say, have mercy on us and forgive us, God. Forgive us for the, the things that we have said and the, wow, the, the, the harshness of it. Uh, forgive us for the lies that we have told. Forgive us, Lord, for taking your name in vain. Uh, God, forgive us for our gossip and the things that we have said about people behind their backs. Uh, Lord, there are people in this room and people who are online, and our, our heart's desire is to serve you, is to serve you with integrity, is to serve you with authenticity, is to serve you with conviction. So I pray that you would take this part of our lives, the things that we say, we bring them under your submission. We ask for your 
uh, guidance to help us. I pray for the one who knows that they have to stop being a cutter offer and they would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Oh God, may we be known as listeners. May we be known as those who edify, those who encourage, those who stop the gossip, those who tell the truth. I pray for families raising children. I pray for uh, 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 people, Lord, who are just constantly around others and have so much influence in the things that they say. Would you use us, we pray, to be salt and light in the way of Jesus. We pray to that end. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Remember to pick up your kids. If they're outside, any guests, you can come and meet me. I'd love to take your guest card. Have a great day, everybody.
Oh, how. 